0: Well, it's great to, uh, I always say this, but it is great because I get to see you all. Um, It's about the only time I can see everybody in one shot, and it is great uh, to be together. I truly do. I miss it. Um, The hardest part about sharing the pulpit Um, Because I could care less about the authority, but the hardest part is I just don't get to see you. (laughs) So I run around like crazy when I'm not preaching and try to see everybody that I can. I always miss somebody, but I love it. This morning, we're looking at this aspect of being heart-focused or uh, the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit, as we think about discipleship we talk talked about the work of Christ, God's work, the work that Christ did on the cross for our sins through the gospel. And the gospel importance is, is vital as we become disciples. And we also talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in dealing with our heart. We often say that we invite Christ into our heart, but really it's the transformation that the Holy Spirit does on our heart when we repent. When we look to the Lord and say, I am a sinner and I repent. I am not God. I am not good, but God, you alone are. And based on that confession, the Holy Spirit does a work and transforms our heart. And the heart matters. The heart really does matter to the Lord. And and he comes in to take ownership of that heart. And we struggle with that because we are living in the flesh. Our flesh is weak. And just because we uh, God saves us and he resides in our heart doesn't mean that the flesh just automatically goes away. We know that. We struggle with it day after day, especially when people cut us off on the road. Our flesh becomes more evident, right? Um, and uh, we do crazy things or we maybe say crazy things. Um, different things bother us in this world and it reveals our flesh pretty fast fast. This morning we're wanting to study this aspect of the heart and as we think of discipleship or intensive discipleship, which we would call counseling, as we're, the whole aspect is to grow in our understanding of the Lord and to better define and clearly define walking with God day to day. That's what discipleship is about. And we want to do that well as a church and we want to do that well together. Part of that. Is, is being discipled by somebody or discipling somebody or uh, spending time with someone uh, intentionally to help with the problems that we're dealing with in our life to follow the Lord and to find out answers about our life and the things that are going on, the hardships that we face and the suffering that we face. Sometimes it's the, it's, discipleship is just a matter of holding up one another, right? Because we fall, I mean, I fall up the stairs all the time. Uh, Me and the president, man, we have two things in common. Uh, I'm always falling up the stairs and I can never remember stuff. It happens, right? Uh, But all of us have faults. Some of you are good at falling, just uh, tripping over feet. Uh, I just trip over stairs all the time. Uh, But the thing is, God cares about our heart and we want to talk about that this, this morning. Ultimately we the reality is, is that we are dependent and depending on God to work in our heart and it's so important uh, to do that and we're, so we're going to look at if I can find here we go if not I know Ruth Ann will, will fix it for me I always miss I always mess this up so And if she can't fix it, I know Leanna will help me (laughs) uh, with it as well. Well, I want to read another verse that kind of helps to emphasize a few things, right? Proverbs 3 uh, 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path or uh, make your path. Straight, and to straighten us out, right? If we need to be straightened out, you need no, uh, not look any further. Go to the Lord, and He takes care of that. He's 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 the professional straighten outer, right? He just He corrects us, and we want to look at this thing of the heart. I can tell you this: that often when people come, uh, finally get over the the stigma of going to the pastor's office like, oh, he's going to cream me or he's going he's to you know, hurt me or he's going to tell me things that are just going to hurt. And, and I don't know if I want to go to the pastor's office. Uh, and, you know, it's like being called to the office. But I can tell you so many times I hear this statement. I've, I've just been dealing with this for years and years and years. Just I can never seem to get rid of this. And, and we begin to sit down and unpack and, and just talk about things and begin to look at what God says about stuff. And, we, and it, it's really interesting how it all goes back to where is our heart? Where's our heart? And so we want to look at that this morning. And so we're going to be looking um, all over the place. But I'm going to read this morning, if you want to follow along, from Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel 14, and then we're going to jump back into Mark and Matthew and some of Proverbs uh, because we hear about the heart a lot in Proverbs, but Ezekiel 14, and so I I love hearing all those pages turning uh, to that unfamiliar passage, but as you get there, let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word. Lord, I'm so grateful for what you have shared um, and spoke to our heart as we've worshipped you in song, in prayer, in the reading of your word. I just thank you so much uh, for what we read in Matthew 15. And, and how you help us to understand that it's, the outside can get tricky. Um, Lord, the outside can distract us. But Lord, you are concerned about the heart. Help us to learn about that. We are so distracted uh, Lord, it is so hard sometimes for us to pay attention to what you are trying to teach us. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us with that this morning, and that our hearts would be knit together with you, and that we would just listen to what your Spirit is trying to teach us this morning. Thank you for Ecclesiastes four or uh, Ezekiel fourteen, and Lord, thank you that we can look at what you have done in the Old Testament to to remind us what you're trying to teach us in our lives as well. Thank you for this instruction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ezekiel 14 says this, and starting in verse 1, just going to read, the context continues all the way down through the chapter. Um, We know uh, that Israel's been sinning, been ignoring God, been doing a lot of different things, and he's calling Israel back to repentance But it's interesting as we talk about the heart, listen to what God says to Israel and then what we can learn and glean from it as well. Verse 1, it says, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophets, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the heart of Of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block uh, of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. He's saying, I will deal with him myself. This is the, the really the, the ultimate goal as we think about the heart that man looks on the outward, the Bible says, but God looks at the heart God has established everything in the heart. This is a reality as we look at it, and that is the goal of discipleship is not to change the outside. Many times people go to counseling or they, they want to be discipled, they want to deal with their life's problems, and they want to grow closer to the Lord. Whatever the reason is that people identify with discipleship or being discipled or counseling, the reality is, is they deal many oftentimes with the outside. They hear, they go to church, and they see all the things on the outside. And and a lot of times, the more that you focus on the outside, it's hard to deal with the things on the inside. We don't uh, learn to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. Matthew 22, verse 37. We struggle with that because we get so focused on the outside. But that is really the goal of discipleship is this The goal is a transformation of the heart, to have heart change. We don't want the heart to remain the same, but the outside to change. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what Israel did. We want restoration. Um, You know, that's, uh, Becky was with us all week. You know that she went to uh, restoration, vision of hope. Um, And there, it was not about changing the outside. It was about Seeing God change the heart. And she loves it. She loves it so much that she's being trained as a counselor back there. She got back. She's been texting me. She goes, I got all of my tests back, and I, I passed. I just had to change a couple of things. She was so excited. So she got through level two certification. Now she gets to start uh, sitting in on counseling and start on level three. She's really excited about all this prospect. That's how much her heart is continuing to change. Because it's not about the outside. She, you know, and that's her testimony. Is like, I spent my whole life focusing on the outside, but the reality is, is my heart never really changed on the inside. It's about restoration of that relationship with the Lord. And that's what... What, the, what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is all about is about this restoration. We're no longer looking on the outside because we're constrained by the work of Christ. When we really look at what Christ has done, we're constrained by that to stop looking on the outside and to see what's on the inside. Verse 12, he says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, or we're not puffing ourselves up, but giving you a cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. Paul is saying, look, I don't, I'm not writing this letter to you again so that you can just simply boast about us. or to. We're not trying to get you to look at us. We want you to be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. Because that's what religion is, and that's what the Jews were doing. The Jews were going around. The Judaizers were saying, hey, you need to be different on the outside. But they never dealt with the inside. He goes, I want you to understand it's about what's in the heart. Verse 17 through 21, we know that he says, behold, all things are become new because of the work of Christ. And he's given us a ministry of reconciliation to to reconcile us to God in verse 21. He talks about that ministry of reconciliation. That's to restore that relationship. And you know that, that God wants our heart to change. And he wants us to be restored in our relationship with God. But then he wants us to carry that same ministry with others. That ministry of reconciliation. This is a great discipleship passage that talks about don't focus on the outside but focus on the inside. So that's the goal of discipleship. The other one is to seek to distinguish between the inner man and the outer man. The Bible in, you know, Matthew 15, but also in the parallel passage in Mark 7 verses 14 through 23, Jesus said the same thing. It's not what, you know, it's not the outside that defiles a man, but it's what comes from inside of a man that defiles a man. It's what comes from the heart. And that's the idea is we seek to distinguish between the outer man and the inner man. We don't want to just change the outside because then if we don't change the heart, then nothing changes. I realized after a few years in ministry, I realized that many times with discipleship, all we were doing is trying to make people feel good and to look different on the outside, to act different. It was this behavior modification. All we cared about was is that they said the right things, did the right th- things, read the right things, didn't go to the movies, don't do this, don't do that, and it was a bunch of do's and don'ts. And you know what everybody likes to do with do's and don'ts. They like to break the do's and don'ts, <laughs> right? Do the things that you say don't to do, and, and you don't want to do the things that you say do, right? It's it's That's the whole point. And I began to realize, it's like, if, if I could just have people love the Lord with their heart imagine that love the Lord with all your heart if I can just get them to love the Lord with your heart they won't care about anything else and it was drastically different it was amazing I remember working when I was an associate our, our senior pastor was like you know there are no young people coming to evening service and I really want the young people to be at the evening service. And so I want you to do youth group right before evening service. And I want you to serve pizza. And, and then I want you to tell them to come to the evening service. And about the time, I think we had about 30, you know, people coming to the evening service. And, uh, and you know, myself and, and my kids. And that was about it. And, and so I'm like, you know, I looked to the pastor and I said, you know, I just want to, I want, you to, I want to ask you a question. I said, do you, you realize that what we win their heart with is what we're going to have to keep it doing? I mean, do you want to buy pizza every single week? Do you know how expensive that's going to get? And he looked at me and he's like, so what are you asking? What are you saying? And I said this. I said, the reality is, is we teach them why being there is a good idea. Right? And teach them to love the Lord and just, this is another opportunity to love the Lord and, and why it's important to be there. I said, it's gonna take a long time. So it's not gonna be a youth group right before evening service. It's gonna be, give me six months just to teach about this one thing. And guess what? Eventually, we, as like there were more, eventually the, the adults started to die out and the youth took over. And it was crazy. They wanted to be there after a while. Uh, and and, it's, and, and it, was, it was amazing how that transferred. Now, we eventually went to more Bible studies and family stuff, and, and it kind of changed and morphed. But the reality was is sometimes we just tell people, do this because it's, it's the right thing. And we change the outside, but the heart never changes. And that's the point. So when we say the heart, what are we talking about? What is the heart? Well, we say, well, it's a blood pumping muscle. We have butchers in house. they know what a heart looks like. they know what it, they know what it is. We have we have you know people that are doctors and, and they know what a heart is. and but you know what surprisingly, in seven hundred plus times that God mentions a heart in the Hebrew and the Greek, it has you'll find that it has nothing to do with that blood pumping muscle. It's not talking about the physical heart. and the other thing is is that we say when We need to, you know, we need to follow our heart. What are we talking about? We're talking about emotions. And you know those 700 plus times? It's not dealing with our emotions and it's not dealing with the physical muscle. So what is the heart? Well, this is what the heart is. The heart is the central and the most core part of who we are. Right? That's what the Bible is talking about. Let me give you an idea. The Bible talks about it in... In Exodus 15, uh, or, I'm sorry, not Exodus, Ezekiel 15, Exodus 15, and also in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3, the Hebrew and the Greek word for heart describes the center of something. The majority of the time when we hear the word heart, it's saying the core center value of something. Jonah chapter 2, verse 3 says, "...for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves..." Uh, you billing and passing over me. Jonah's being cast over into the, into the ocean. And this is what he's describing, that God has thrown him into the center of the sea, the heart of the sea. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he says this, talking about Jonah again, says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Talking about the core of something, the center of something. Not only that, but the Bible describes our heart as our inner person. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 it says, That according to the riches of his glory, that he, that is God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There we see he's describing our innermost being and dealing, is dealing with our heart. When the Bible describes our heart, he's talking about that innermost being. Second uh, Corinthians 4.16. Remember, this is uh, very familiar to most of us. It says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You see, the, when we talk about the heart, it's not about the outward. the outward circumstances in our life may be horrible, maybe be good, we don't know. No matter what happens on the outside, and we know that the older we get, the outer self is what? Wasting away. It's changing, right? Doesn't get better. But the inner person is being renewed day by day. That's the whole point. Is, is that the Bible is describing our heart as our innermost person or being. The other thing is when we think of the heart, when we look at the Bible, what is the heart? We come to know man's deepest struggles and need we look at, when we look at the heart. The more we focus at their heart, we begin to find out where their greatest struggle is. We begin to find where their greatest need is by looking at their heart. So think of the heart. When we think of the heart and we read about the heart in the Bible, we're thinking this. It's the mission control center, right? It's the mission control center. It's the center of your being. It's the cockpit of your life. It's what you live for. It's what you love. It's what you think you need. It's your hard drive. It's the real you. You know, Here's all these different synonyms describing the center of our heart or our innermost being. So we need to ask this question. So then why is the heart so important? We've kind of answered that in a way. And as we think about it, it is, is that if it's the innermost part of our being, if it's the center and the core of our life, then the reality is that, that is really important, right? The, when you, your computer stops working and your hard drive crashes, you realize how important your hard drive is, right? The first thing you think of is, I wonder if I can get my pictures back. Or I wonder if I can get my, you know, have you ever had your hard drive crash right in the middle of doing your, you know, a, an assignment? Or I've, I've done that. I've, I can't tell you. I, I forget to save sometimes. I'm not thinking. I leave my computer on. And I remember about four years ago, I was working on my message. Come Friday night, I opened up my computer, and it just stopped. And I was desperately, I was like, and I could not access it. It just stopped. And, and then it shut down, and then it didn't come back. And I was like, I had to redo all my notes on the fly that night. I was like, ugh. And <laughs> so it was brutal. We hate that. We find out how important the hard drive is, right? But rarely do we ask this question because the world says it's not that important. We don't think of our heart as being really important. Our culture, you know, it's a nonsensical question. It's assumed that you can't do anything about your heart. What you feel is what you feel. You can't change that. It's defined, most of the world will define your heart as an emotion. It's considered the infallible compass of decision making, is how most people take it. And by the way, that idea of the heart is is highly influenced by Eastern thinking in our pop culture. The New Age movement, which was, which was not really new, it's the Old Age movement because it started and got its, its through Gnosticism that moved eastward and became the Eastern thinking of its day, and now it's coming back to the West. But it, it's trying to say that your emotions are the most important thing You've heard the term, right? The whole idea is just follow your heart. And that's the idea. But here's the reason why our heart is so important. Because it's by nature not good, right? Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That doesn't sound good, right? If you go into the doctor you hear this about your heart, that it's deceitfully sick or it's, you know, it's desperately sick, who can fix it, right? I'm not sure. You, that's not what you want to hear. But when we hear this from God, who's talking about our heart, um, the center and core of our being, which drives our flesh and, and thinking, we're like, this is not good. In verse 10, it says, And I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test from the heart, I test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his deed. This is a great problem. This is why our heart is so important, because we realize, like we talked about, we realize that our true self is not good, because our heart is not good. I like what Proverbs 28, 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind... By the way, own mind right there in the Hebrew means the inner man, mind, will, or heart. It's talking about our inner self. It says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. By the way, he's in the context uh, Solomon is telling us about he who follows just his own heart is foolish. But he who follows wisdom, the context there, wisdom is saying seek wisdom. And he's talking about the Lord. Whoever seeks wisdom, right, is wise or it will be delivered. Thus, trusting in our heart is disconnecting from God's truth and is very foolish. So not only that, but because it's the basic source of our life. You've heard Proverbs 4.23, right? Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life are the springs of life. It says literally are the life, you know, remember in the, in the eastern side of the world, in Israel, in the Middle East, how important is water? Everything flows around what? Water. If you find a spring, what happens? You drink it, right? But what do they do with it? Do they just say, oh, I found water, and then leave? They build a wall around it. They build a town around it. They, they, they protect it because it's, the, it's life in the desert for their sheep, for themselves, for vegetables, for food. They can grow tons of fruit. Man, When we were in Israel, there was fruit all year round. We, I mean, I ate a crazy amount of fruit when I was in Israel. There were fruit and vegetables for days. I was looking forward to a steak when I got home, and then I got sick on steak. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Is, is they can grow vegetables because of the water. Israel learned how to irrigate and use the water to the point where it brought life to the region. This is what God is saying. Guard your heart that way because everything in your life springs from there. This verse shows the importance of the heart as it refers to all that one thinks, decides, plans, does, and says flows like a stream from one common source, your heart. That's why we do what we do. Because the basic source of one life is found in the heart. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 12, again, talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said this. He says, You brood of vipers, he called them a bunch of snakes, belly draggers. Is basically the idea. You brood. That means brood. You, 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 you know, your family, your propagating family of snakes. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Everything comes from our heart. Jesus is referring. to, To our heart as a basic source of one life. He's saying the same thing as Solomon did in Proverbs chapter 4. So what our heart is like is what you're going to be like. What you hide in your heart is what you're going to be like. So guard your heart. Solomon was sharing the Proverbs because he wanted his son to protect his heart. Because his heart is the, the fountainhead from which springs life. And he wanted his heart to be captivated by the wisdom in life of God, not by the world and the things of the world. Solomon wrote again in Proverbs 27, verse 19, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. So the heart is really important, not only because of that, because it's an idol factory. I didn't come up with this, by the way. This was a quote from... Uh, uh, our very big theologian, John Calvin, he's, he actually said this. He called the heart an idol factory. And he got that from what we read in Ecclesiastes 14, verses 1 through 7. When he says in verse 3, he says, The Son of Man, these, these men have taken their idols into their heart. They have become an idol factory. They, uh, the idea is, is because basically our heart is not good... Um, We all struggle with our flesh. We struggle with all these wrong desires, wrong motives. Our eyes are being distracted by the things of the world. Um, There's all of that because we are not in heaven being translated into heaven. And God hasn't perfected us and completed us. And we haven't been transformed into uh, that which is perfect in the image of the Lord. But we are sinful. So our heart is sinful and so we are captivated by things around us and we take them into our heart and we make these idol factories. We take good things that are around us and we grab onto those good things and they become important things. And those good things that become important things become the only things that drive us. We need these things. I want these things. And we begin to worship them and you know it's interesting verse 5 he says he wants to lay a hold of their heart because in verse 4 he says that these idols have become a stumbling block they can't see the lord in fact he goes on in verse 7 it says because they it says who separates himself from me because of their idols in verse 7 because a stumbling block of iniquity before his face that's what the the idols do. They set up. They become a stumbling block. We trip over them over and over to the point where we can't see the Lord. In God's solution for sinful man, and in verse 7 is repent and deal with the idols that are in your heart. Get rid of them so you can see me. Often we struggle in our walk with God and we struggle with seeing God and knowing God simply because we have so many things Crowding in our heart that we just are stumbling over ourselves. That's how important our heart is. That's the idea is that God is supposed to be the one you have in control of our heart. The issue is this: Who or what are you worshiping? Who or what? We never stop worshiping. Do you know that we never stop worshiping? We're not worship neutral. I don't worship anything bogus we all worship something if we're not worshiping god then guess what we're worshiping something we want we all have worship disorders that's where addictions come in we're disordered and disorderly sometimes right <laughs> we we we, can't, we create distractions and we are distracted the world is full of disorder and disorderly worship and I didn't come up with this, but I saw this. It says, a good thing that becomes a God thing is a sinful thing. Did you get that? A good thing that becomes a God thing is a sinful thing. Not a God thing as we give it to God, but a God thing in our heart. We make it, we set it up as God of our life. It controls us. Did you notice the phrase that I repeated a couple of times in Ezekiel fourteen seven? that they put a stumbling block before their faces. Idols are blinding. They really hinder our relationship with God because idols of the heart, they just really deaden you spiritually. They deaden you spiritually. They, they, really, they really manipulate to the point where, they manipulate your heart to where you just struggle. You don't even want to go to church. You don't want to be around other believers you, you just nitpick, you become complainers, you, you really struggle because you have idols that really deaden or dull your heart. One of the worst things, one of the most deadly things when we're cutting up meat is a dull knife. Because you push so hard to get it to do something, and when you push so hard, you slip and you cut yourself. I've been cut so many times by dull knives just because it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. But that's the idea, is is the more that we crowd our heart with things, the more dull we become in in our walk with God. Paul Tripp, in a really good book, a really good book to read, is Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. He says this, An idol of the heart is anything that rules me other than God. As worshiping beings, human beings always worship something or something, someone or something. This is not a situation where some people worship and some people don't. If God isn't ruling your heart, someone or something will. It's the way that God made us with the desire to worship things because he wants us to worship him. It's very interesting. Because God desires and wants our hearts to change. He wants, us, he wants our hearts to change. We talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, the idea is the goal is not to change our circumstances. So many times we want that. And we struggle because why aren't things changing? And God's like, I'm not focusing on changing your circumstances. I'm focusing on changing your heart. Israel did this for years. They're like, if if only we can have a king. If only we could just rule the world. If only there was all these, if only's. Oh, I know. God will, will bless us if only we carry out all the rules that we can create. If we're just good, if we're good enough, God will love us and life will be good. It's not what God wants. changing our heart. Behavior modification is like putting lipstick on a pig. I heard that once, and now it just rings so much more truer. You you can't put lipstick on a pig. It doesn't change a pig. A pig's still a pig. Pig's going to be a mess. The pig is going to still taste good when you barbecue it. Lipstick isn't going to matter. It's going to get in the way of barbecuing the stupid pig, right? We're just going to take the lips off. That's okay, (laughs) right? It doesn't matter, Changing the outside of your life is just worthless. It's not going to change your heart. And the things that are you struggle with in life are going to continue because they come from your heart. What rules your heart is going to control the, out, the outward part of your life. The Bible calls us, God calls us to a deeper, more lasting, altogether change of the heart, Romans 6. Seventeen, but thanks be to God that through you, uh, the, though we were slaves of sin, you became we became obedient from the heart. The heart changed. We we stopped being obedient to sin and became obedient to the Lord. Ephesians six six. You can do the will of God from the heart. Israel couldn't do the will of God from changing the outside. Because we have to do the will of God from the heart. Here's the other reason. is because God commands us to love him with all our heart. Right? The greatest commandment is not to look good on the outside. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, with every aspect of your life. Love him. It starts with the heart, and then it flows from there. You say, well, I'm going to go through this fast, so either write fast or just look at it later. <laughs> so how do we reorient our sinful heart? If I'm struggling from the heart, my heart is desperately wicked and sick, how do we reorient our sinful heart? Well, part of the the, the real Key is found in Proverbs 3.5 Trust in the Lord with all your Heart, lean not on your own Understanding all Right, That's the first part, stop thinking about what you Want What's the next part, how do we do that, how do we stop Thinking about everything I want How do we stop making idols in our life Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own Understanding, in all your ways as you Go through your life Acknowledge who Him in all your ways, acknowledge. That's the, the key here. Acknowledge the work of God. We are so work fo- focused on outward work. We're saying, look what I'm doing. Look at this. Look at that. That's how almost all church arguments start. Look at me. Because we're so saying, look at me, that we stop saying, look at God. We care more about ourselves than we do, or we care more about what other people are doing than we care about God. We need to work Look and acknowledge the work of God. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord will circumcise your heart to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart. God is going to do this work to circumcise, to set you apart, to set your heart apart, to love him. He said the same thing in Ezekiel 36. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. That's God's work. That's God's purpose. We have to acknowledge that. It's not about me changing outside. It's what God does on the inside. And you have to acknowledge it. That's the key. The other one is by acknowledging God's word, right? In Psalm 119, verse 11, how will a young man keep his way pure? By following God's word, right? In verse 11, I have stored up the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we reorient our sinful heart? We go to God's word. We memorize God's word. We read God's word. We pray through God's word. Have you ever done that? The best way to to spend time with God is to read God's word and pray at the same time. You should try it. It's a two way street. You're you're hearing from God. When you pray and talk to God, tell him what you're doing, and you're reading scripture, you're reading God's word, right? You're reading from the Lord. We need scripture. We need his word. Why? Because 1 Peter 1.22 tells us that you purified our souls by being obedient to your truth. And he says your word is truth. And, And we look there, it says, For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like a flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Right? Next week, those flowers won't be there. Right? There'll be new ones. Right, Because all grass, all flowers wither. Our flesh withers. Why are we so focused on changing the outside and never deal with the inside? It's, it's, it's God's word. It's the work of God in our life that changes our heart that remains forever. That's the real treasure, right? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there you heart will be also. This word is good news that was preached to you, 1 Peter 1.25. It's about the gospel. By acknowledging the work of God's Spirit, Romans 8 is amazing. You, You need to read it in its entirety and think about this. It's His Spirit that transforms our heart. John 16, it's the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to draw us to God. It's to change our heart, to show us how great God is. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that, that helps us to understand God's word. We need to acknowledge it. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the Spirit that opens our hearts and minds to know God through the scriptures. It's not your outward doing. By the way, it's by acknowledging God in prayer. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, every, by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. When we go to God in prayer, we, and we ask for help, and we go to Him, and we, our heart is set on Him, we can be thankful. When we do that, when we pray and we're thankful for who God is, guess what, man? He changes our heart. When we acknowledge God in prayer, right, our heart begins to change. Guard your heart by having a watchful attitude of prayer. John Piper wrote in a sermon in, based on Corinthians chapter four and walking in wisdom, and walking in wisdom. He wrote this: "I often said." John Piper said, I often said that one of the reasons we feel so weak in our prayer lives is that we have tried to make a domestic intercom out of a wartime walkie-talkie. You know, hey, God, I need you. Yeah. Rather, but the reality is, is it's a, the, our prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. We, it's, it's, a, it's a lifeline. Those of you that were in the military know That having the communication in the wartime is, is you have to have it. When you sever communication, that's when you can be defeated. Your your lifeline, your your help, it can't arrive. No more reinforcements. Right? And he says, prayer is not designed as an intercom between us and God to serve the domestic comforts of the saints. It's designed as a walkie-talkie for the spiritual battlefield. It's the link between active soldiers and their command headquarters with its unlimited firepower and air cover and strategic wisdom. This is where I want you to retreat. This is where you'll find refuge. This is where you'll find strength. This is where you'll find the the weapon in scripture to defeat the, the, the schemes of the evil one. It's your connection with your father. I look forward to here in a couple of weeks, we'll, uh, Pastor Rob will continue our Father, talking about our Father. Prayer, as Jesus was teaching us about prayer, he told us he started with our Father, that great relationship. If you're struggling with your relationship with God, this is how do we reorient our life? It's the work of God, the Word of God, it's the Spirit of God, and it's prayer, acknowledging our prayer life with God. I want to close by asking these questions of you. How do we, what's the so what of this? This is a heart probing exposers. You know, we want to expose our heart. You need, we need to ask ourselves, what is our goals? What are our expectations? What are our intentions? What do, I beca- do, what do I become anxious over or feel for over? If you ask that question, what is that bothers you the most? You might want to ask, where's the idol in my heart? This, all these questions help say there's a potential for an idol. There's a potential for something that you're desiring, you wish for, and you're focusing on to the point of becoming anxious or feel for over. What makes me happy? What motivates me? What would I like possibly more than anything? In what situation do I respond in anger? What perceived rights have I been denied? What biblical standard or pr- uh, principle permits that thought, word, or action? Why, you know, if we think about these questions, sum it up this way, why do we get so upset about certain things or want certain things so bad that we try to justify it by our outward perceptions or preoccupation? Asking these questions are great because it drives us back to our heart. We need to ask these questions day in, day out, and say, what am I getting distracted over? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I have to ask myself that all the time. You know, as, as spiritual leaders of a church, you never stop asking that question as soon as you do you run into major problems, right? We get into that, I want a bigger church. I, wanna, I want this, I want that, I want something more lively. I want, I want something, I want, I, I, you know, the, the I wants just get out of control. But that's no different than the rest of us. We do the same thing. Where your heart is, there will be your treasure. Jesus said in the parable, right? The wise man goes sell every single thing he owns to buy the field because he knows that there's a treasure in it. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. The greatest good news and treasure that we will ever know. There is nothing we need in life save the work of Christ. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Does the gospel define your actions? thoughts and words. If it doesn't, you need to ask yourself, where is my treasure? Because that's where your idols are. And just throw them. Get rid of them. You're not going to you're not by throwing them away, you're not going to waste anything, trust me. All you're going to gain is the freedom and the joy that is produced through the Holy Spirit in your life. It's going to be less complicated. Less things to trip over. Don't you like that? I like getting rid of things that just I know I, I, I need to do that with my barn and my... <laughs> I seem to just gather things, but I trip over them. I'm like, ah! And then I'm like, why do we even have that? <laughs> it's like, put that over here. It's funny. I go to the dump almost every other week. And every every time I go, I'm like, you know, I don't need this. I'm I i going to keep this because I might fix it. <laughs> when am I going to have the time to fix it? <laughs> right? Uh, I knew a guy, a lot of the stuff I have, I got from a guy that had six barns. And they were full. And he died. And then we had to sell all of it and get rid of it. It's, you know what? Here's the sad thing. it All the stuff that we sold in all those barns, all it did was pay for the dump fees. I'm not kidding. It was, it was sad. And it, it convicted me of... My tool shed in my in <laughs> <and> my barn, <laughs> right Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this lesson and your words that help us to understand is a lot of information. But I pray that it would spark something in our in our growth as a church family. That as we seek to become better disciples and to to love on one another to become uh, the helpers to to present ourselves to Christ when he returns. May we be be ready. May we focus on that idea. Is is my heart ready for the return of Christ? Am I focused on my greatest treasure, on the work of Christ, on the cross, who paid for my sins, that I might be restored to a right relationship, not because I am good, but because of all of God's goodness was poured out on me when Christ died for me. Thank you, Lord, for that amazing gift. May that be our treasure as a church and each of us individually. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.